Hey, welcome to Hot Takes. I'm your host, James Scott, here to analyze anything and everything interesting. Let's dig into today's topics. Welcome back, everyone, to the best MLB podcast on the airwaves. Best thing you can listen to. That's out there right now, talking about every single type of angle, all of about the power in the sport, all about uh, all the different types of stats and things like that. And obviously, person talking, it's me, Chris, and I'm here with James. Hello, hello. And uh, James, really, you know, we hopped on onto our Zoom call together like we normally do twice a week. And James came to me with this new idea. I mean, James is always at the games. He's always he's always going back and forth between different games and uh, checking out different players and analyzing different things. I feel like James is James. I feel like I don't know why I'm talking about you. Like, like James is always doing this. James is like, you're right there. James, I feel like you're always analyzing something new and you're always picking up on new stuff. And it really changes the way you rate things from time to time. And it's really wow. interesting. And that also leads us into today's episode you know, we were talking about, I mentioned earlier, like power. So James and I were talking about like the physicality of players. Yeah. You know, it's a very interesting subject because you'd think that, you know, the more physical a player is, the more physically built and, 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 you know, whether they're fast and strong, a player is uh, just the better that they would be. Uh, Funny thing is, is that if you don't have proper swing mechanics, it eventually will show up that you can't hit certain types of pitches. There'll be certain types of pitches that you, you struggle with either because of sequence uh, and you'll be, you know, used to a fastball and then the changeup comes in or because of break because of the type of swing that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to have a fundamentally sound swing, no matter what size of ball player that you are, you got to remember the bigger the ball player, the bigger the strike zone. So at some point in time, if you don't have a fundamentally sound swing and you're, you're a big guy, you know, you're a masher, you're, you're physical, you have that physicality, but you don't have the fundamentally sound swing, you know, over, over that much strike zone, you're going to strike out. You're going to swing and miss a lot or even worse. When you do make contact, it won't be centered. It'll be lots of ground balls or infield fly balls. So those are basically auto outs, but like mm-hmm. every single time you get one of those, it's, it's basically an out. So um, I got the, uh, the, the Cubs game on right now in the background. That's what you're hearing, Chris. So we're, we're, we're doing a little bit of analysis while we're actually even recording this episode. When I, when I say he's analyzing all the time, he's literally analyzing all the time. I oh. think there was, there was one time where he called me at like 11 o'clock at night almost 12 and he was like dude i'm watching this game and i just came up with this do you remember this you you called me real late one time it it was not a problem but it was you were like you were like dude i just had a breakthrough with something and you just explained the whole thing to me and i'm like this dude is analyzing 24 7 i'm like it is just it is a machine it is a well-oiled machine this is what i do so with regards to physicality, we're in the game in the era of physicality. Like this is this is this is the 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 the, the center of the era of physicality. And it's funny because you wouldn't think that 
you know, after mm-hmm. the steroid era, right? Not the at steroid all. steroid era, you still had a lot of people who were teaching, you know, fundamental swings and all of that type of stuff with players coming up to the big leagues. I mean, uh, a lot of the players who were getting, you know, caught for the big leagues, funny enough, weren't the big names until the end. And that was because the league had made it so certain people would get tested a lot more. And if you were a big name and selling a lot, you know, obviously getting a lot of people to go to the ball games, they wouldn't get you tested as much, or they'd test you at times where, you know, they basically know that you wouldn't be taking yeah. anything. So like, yeah. you know, they'd be like, Oh, Christmas test, your, your yearly Christmas test. So you'd know not to be on anything by Christmas. Yeah. You know, yeah, so they do in like bodybuilding that. competitions. That, that, yeah. That's exactly what they do in bodybuilding competitions. When you time out, yeah, yeah, same deal. You time out when you wean yourself off. That way, it's out of your system. And and as you're yep. saying, why are you going to expose your money makers? Like the reason why people are showing up to your games. Exactly, and I, I feel like that's that's and at, at the end of the steroid era, everybody was getting found out. Yeah. But that's why some people took forever to get caught. Um, and I know this because I actually met up with a doctor who did that type of testing and he would always ask the league, like, why aren't you sending me this guy? Why aren't you sending me that guy? And the league would just not exactly ever respond. And, you know, years later, we find out each of the guys he asked about was actually on steroids. Mm -hmm. So, um, but no, with regards to physicality, I mean, look at guys like Miguel Sano Mm -hmm. and Miguel Sano, I believe he had like the hardest, like any well I mean, on, on the balls that he hit right i believe his barrels per batted ball rate i think it was either last year or the year before was like by far the most in the big leagues it's a guy who can hit the ball as hard as anyone harder than really everyone when he does make contact although he doesn't frequently really make contact and when he does a lot of the time it's not in the air and you know where you want it to be but um that being said, barrels are in the air and where you want it to be. But when you're making contact at such an infrequent rate, um, it's not really going to be as effective for, for you as we've learned. Um, now, what's interesting for me, and this is why I keep going back to Miguel Sano, is that occasionally when he's really got into one, he does showcase supreme swing mechanics. So it's almost like if he could somehow dial it back and learn the strike zone, be a little bit more patient and become a hitter, that there might be something really special in there. But as long as the physicality is not accompanied with any sort of fine tuning and the swing most of the time gets way out of control, um, I don't think he's going to be effective until he dials those things in. But at least there's hope there. Uh, I think with guys like Hoskins who they're just really physically strong mm-hmm. as we've seen, you know, his first year was his best year. The league didn't know him. And then ever since then, the league has figured out basically how to pitch to him. He still tattoos lefties because he still has that physicality to really like get on something like that. But at the same time, uh, he, his production versus righties has cratered. I believe his, uh, his slugging percentage against them might even be in the three hundreds. Um, I know his on-base percentage against them is in the 200s. Um, but that's what happens when you don't have fine-tuned swing mechanics and you're just a physical uh, a physical guy, a physical dude. Um, and I think that even if you're looking at guys 
who do have proper mechanics, mm-hmm. but they're not succeeding through an intelligent approach, eventually things stop working for them. Um, and I think if we're looking on the pitcher's side, Chapman's kind of exhibiting that he's had perfect mechanics and he's had, he's been about as physically strong and as athletic as a guy can be in the league. Um, but he also hasn't exactly been a guy who's been out thinking other like the, the batters that he's facing mm-hmm. very much overpowering fastball slider. And now he's had to add a third pitch and he's still learning it. And um, he doesn't quite know how to use it really. And, you know, his, his sliders definitely more controlled and more in the zone, but it's also breaking less sharp. It's getting hit harder. And that's because, you know, the seams being less prominent on the ball balls being less dense. Uh, it's affected lefties more this year. I think we've talked about this before mm. uh, Chapman being a lefty. It's, it's definitely affected him um, with his physicality and, and, and the fact that his motion is so clean um, and his stuff, you'd think that he'll be able to figure out some sort of way of using it in future years, despite you know, the balls being different, but at the same time, uh, you're starting to see that without some sort of process behind stuff, there being a decline. And I think that that's, that's kind of what uh, I think is hitting Stanton as well. Um, Stanton is kind of going through a, a transition. You know, he last two fully healthy years of his career, he's been like 25, 28% above league average which is a far cry from his usual around 50% above league average, mm-hmm. uh, slightly above, slightly below. Um, so I think he's starting to have problems because of his swing mechanics, being a righty in a league of hard throwing righties. He's still effective very clearly. And I think, you know, if you're looking at his health, it's a, it's less of a concern than you'd think he's on pace for a full season of games this year. Stanton was on pace. Well, he did play a full uh, year of games in 2018, 2019. He had his first injured year of his career, first fully injured year of his career. Uh, I think he had one more year. I think he in, earlier in his career he played like 73 or 78 games, but he produced so massively in that year. He had a 3.5 war. So I don't really call it like a, a fully injured year. If you're producing, you know, an offense 55% above league average and like a 3.5 war, yeah, that's like, a full season worth of, of contributions. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside that, he's only had one injured year in his career. That was 2019. In 2020, it was a 60-game season. He was healthy by the end of the season, and he played in 23 games. So given that there was 102 games remaining for the rest of the season, and he would have only had to play in like 77 of them uh, for him to play a full 100 games, healthy season, uh, you can say that uh, Stanton would have been healthy last year and he's on pace for being healthy this year. Um, but we are seeing, I think, a decline in performance um, around a lot of the injured years. He's been hitting more and more balls on the ground. And in the, the injured years, in the time that he was playing, he was walking more than he ever, ever has. And I think that that's probably the next stage for him as a hitter three true outcomes, which is basically the end result for any hitter who's just based off of physicality 
is a three true outcome hitter. You know, the more you can sustain being somebody who succeeds on balls in play and out of play, the better you're going to do as a hitter. But on the other side of it, um, if you are a three true outcome guy, it's, it's, you're only succeeding on walks or homers. The three true outcomes, just to be clear, if you've never heard of this, uh, are strikeout, walk, home run. And there are hitters who get to a certain point in their career, especially in this era, where if you add up the percentage of the time that they do those three things, it's the overwhelming majority of the result of their at-bats. Mm-hmm. So if you're a three true outcome hitter, um, you know, you're, you're basically not swinging at balls and swinging as hard as you can at strikes. And I don't think there's a lot of fine-tuned hitting ability there. Um, really? Yeah. Cause Why not? If you're swinging hard at strikes, that's fine. But you have to have a fundamentally sound swing and you have to be able to adjust your swing to like hit a pitch that you may not think is the, the, the first pitch coming. Like you can't just be like, oh, that's a, that's a fastball. I'm going to guess fastball. I'm just going to swing as hard as I can. Yeah. You know, what happens if it's a changeup? What happens if, which is frequently the case? Okay. What happens if it's a cutter, which is also frequently the case? It'll come out looking like a fastball. And what happens if you're a terrible hitter, you can't pick up on pitches, and it ends up being a late break curveball or a slider. Sliders break really late, especially for righties. That sliders are, are, are righties' uh, biggest weakness because if you've already committed to your swing, you can't tell that it's a slider. It's breaking low and away from you. Mm-hmm. Even if you get the bat on it, it's a ground ball to first base or second base, and first base is right there. So that's no, that you're, that you're not going to get any sort of success on that. At all. Even if they put a shift on you, the first baseman will be playing far enough off the bag where he'll, where he'll get you out. So it, it, it's uh, sliders are, are death to righties. Um, so if, if you're going to, if you're going to have a patient approach, right, and you're going to have a, a, a approach where you're not swinging at balls, right, and you're swinging at strikes, you're probably going to be successful at more than just the balls that you hit perfectly, which are the ones that you pull out of play, you're probably going to be successful at the ones, you know, that uh, you're able to adjust to. So you hit them perfectly where the other guy, you know, who who has an imperfect swing, who's imperfect swing mechanics would not be able to properly adjust to it because the swing mechanics aren't there. The bat won't be in a place to come through the zone at the right time. So really we're talking about zone coverage which again gets back into how hitters develop, which is they go from being aggressive towards being patient. They go from swinging outside the zone to swinging inside the zone versus a gym rat who's just told, hey, you can hit the ball really hard when you hit it, just swing it strikes. It's not an athlete, it's not a baseball player, it's not a developed guy. Just because he can run fast, you know, because he's strong. Just because when he hits the ball, it's hit hard that doesn't necessarily mean he's doing what you want. Um, that is being that said, bad if there are results, that's, that's how baseball is. That's how they, that's, that's literally how the entire industry feels like it's not bad if there's results, but like, that's kind of the whole thing is that when I asked the, the question, you had this there. smirk, you like literally had yeah. this smirk. <laughs> Your results face won't be up. there if the swing mechanics and, and, and the process isn't there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> 
So, um, I, I, oh, just got some new news, by the way. Just mm-hmm. going to drop this real quick. Um, but you know what? No, let, let me just finish off this point real here. Yeah, finish off the point. This first, is yeah. an important thing. If you're a righty, right, mm-hmm. and you're just a gym rat and you have, you know, tons of strikeouts because you don't have proper swing mechanics, but you're swinging really hard and that's where the strikeouts are from because you're, you're missing a lot. Mm-hmm. but anything you hit is ridiculously hard hit because you're very strong and you don't swing at ball. So you're walking a lot. So you're a three, two outcome guy, right? If you're a righty, even if you're fast, this is a limited skill set, mainly because the league is full of righties. And once the righties figure out how to get you on your swing mechanics, which happen fairly quickly at the big league level, they adjust to you very quickly at that level. Um, then you know you're only successful versus or, or at, at an elite level of success versus lefties, which are such a minority of the league's pitchers that you know you're putting your team like the evaluators at risk for thinking that your production is for real. They'll sign you to a long-term deal, and then you're only useful versus lefties. Mm. That's a problem. Thirty million dollar a year player only valuable versus lefties. That's the big concern long-term with Stanton. It's not really short-term, but long-term with Stanton, especially because he's a DH now and, you know, the Yankees don't want to use him in the outfield. I don't understand why. Seems healthy. He's a great outfielder, great defender. Um, part of the reason why I think they should trade him. But anyway, to finish off this point, if it's a lefty rather than a righty who happens to be a gym rat, who happens to be ridiculously physical, who happens to be, you know, a platoon bat, who happens to be fast on, on the bases and on defense, and they're a three true outcome guy. Believe it or not, that completely changes the equation. So I, I do want to make, you know, very clear, uh, that's something that I learned literally in the last year, that there's a little distinction there where if you have righties who are just this three true outcome hitter, you can find them all the time just like go to a gym find a guy who's fairly coordinated enough who's ridiculously big and strong and just have them do reps you know have them do reps against 90 miles an hour you know if you're a lefty however you may not be able to hit other lefties because your platoon your your mechanics are not there you know against your handedness you're not going to be able to do anything but merely being effective versus you know your platoon if you're a lefty, you're effective versus righties, and that's the majority of the league. So even if you know you're successful versus everyone initially, just because of your physicality, because the league doesn't know you, and then the league starts to know you, well, you can be platooned so that your success lasts a little longer, a couple more years. And uh, assuming the base running and defense are there, when you do get on base or when you are on defense, you do contribute there as well. And that can be enough to be a very valuable profile. So just merely changing the hand in this there matters tons. Whereas mm-hmm. if you go to a righty, uh, that righty becoming a platoon bat is really just not desirable in any way, especially considering that these types of hitters are mistake hitters. They hit a mistake in the zone out of the park, or they walk on a mistake out of the zone, or they're swinging and misses uh, uh, on on on, on uh, swing and missing on, on swings that are for better or, or worse mistake swings, not properly constructed swings. 
Um, but to get to, quick to the news that I just got. Yeah, I was just um, about to ask. Yeah, because this is this is kind of big. The Tampa Bay Rays have just traded for the Twins uh, slugging DH Nelson Cruz. Mm-hmm. He's arguably the best DH in the major leagues outside of Shohei Otani. So uh, that's really big. That's a you know, major, major addition. Uh, I'd say he's a better DH than Jordan Alvarez, but that's up for debate. Um, but yeah, he's, he's like a top two, three DH in the league and Tampa Bay has just added him. Uh, that changes our projections. Um, Tampa Bay is going to finish in first very clearly. Tampa Bay is going to finish in first. Um, second is still kind of up in the air, given how Boone's kind of messed with the Yankees a little bit. Um, but the Yankees, you know, they have enough, enough versatility in their lineup right now that they're kind of pushing through. And it, it, Boone also might be Ted Lassoing. So we'll see. We'll see. I, I don't want to, you know, declare anything too early. I, I really hope Boone ends up as, 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 a, as a great manager and he's learned from mm-hmm. his mistakes. That's why I say Ted Lasso, you know, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Cross your fingers. Um, and then on the other side, almost – as if the, the Yankees uh, had been, you know, trying to do this in response. I know that the Cashman doesn't really do things that way. That's much more of a, a Steinbrenner move. Mm-hmm. Yankees are looking into the Colorado Rockies and Trevor Story. And the idea there would be if Story comes in, that LeMahieu would be more of a long-term option this season, at least, while Voight's out at first base flavor Torres would move either to third or second, probably third with, you know, Urshela uh, being on the uh, COVID IL. I was actually going to ask you because you're, you're, I don't want to say you're assuming the positions they're going to move them around in, but would someone coming into the Yankees, you think that they'd finally fix their rotation? Well, I mean, it's an interesting situation because the Yankees definitely want to fix their rotation, but the options out there for, you know, long-term, as in like Mm -hmm. an ace for the short-term, an ace for the Mm long-term, aren't super appealing without draining your entire farm system. Like, I'm pretty sure that Jeter is only going to give up Sandy Alcantara, who's an ace who, you know, has just turned into one, who throws 100 miles an hour and is like six foot four. Um you know, for, for a pretty big amount. I mean, he's Derek Jeter, you know, he, he, he very smart owner. Um, you know, you got uh, Woodruff, Burns, and Peralta, but I don't think any of them are getting moved off of the Brewers. Um, the White Sox have a couple of guys, but the White Sox are trying to contend. Uh, they're, you know, they're one of those teams that's trying to win a World Series. You know, the Padres got Darvish and a bunch of guys, so I think um, if the Yankees want to get pitching, I think this offseason going for Scherzer and then doing a Stanton trade off of a healthy year, uh, sending him to a team that can actually allow him to play in the outfield, you know, let him be his gold glove self in, in either right field or left field. And I think in order to move Stanton, you're going to have to put more talent in there. I think thankfully the Yankees are – really trying to move a lot of payroll mm-hmm. 
And I think that that's really smart because Sanchez contracts coming up, judges contracts coming up. Um, you're trying to bring back pieces that are going to be there long-term and produce long-term for you. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're trying to move Stanton, if they put him in a deal, even with someone like uh, Chapman, if they put him in a deal with someone like Urshela. Although I think to be honest, if the Trevor story trade happens that we're talking about here, Mm -hmm. Urshela is probably going back to the Rockies. He's under contract cheaply for a while. Uh, He goes over to third base for them, takes over our Nato spot. Brendan Rogers can take over Story's spot. Um, Those guys can very, they can be cheap versions of what they lost. They can be cheap versions of Story and Arenado, which is the important thing because they need that money to put elsewhere on their roster. Um, But I do think that, you know, you're going to have to deal something to get something. And I think if you put Torres at third, you have Odor for second, you have Lombanku for first, and then you slot in Story at shortstop, I think that that could be very, very effective for you. Um, I've brought up this idea, and it's absolutely hideous to Yankees fans, but the more you think about it, the more it makes sense. With the presence of guys like Glaber Torres, with the presence of, you know, who's in the system, the Yankee system is littered with second-base prospects. With the presence of Rugi Odor, um, I'm beginning to think that with LeMahieu regressing a little bit, you could trade him for a lot right now. He's the oldest guy that we got outside of Gardner, who's going to retire soon. His money's going to go to, you know, someone younger. But LeMahieu's 33 years old. He's not getting any younger. Uh, I get that he's got, you know, this position versatility, but he's got positional versatility at positions that we already have backups at, that that we already have people who can play it at. I, I get he's been a star for the Yankees in 2019 with the juiced ball, you know, coming to Yankee stadium with lineup protection. And then, you know, in the shortened season of 2020, but if he's not going to be something close to that at all, uh, moving forward, even if, you know, he's a great defender who has versatility and is an above league average hitter. I think at his age with what the Yankees are trying to do, it might make sense for the amount of money he's getting paid to send them to somebody for, you know, some, some minor league pitching that the Yankees can develop and, and, you know, turn into rotation options. Um, Cause at the big league level, I, I, I think the best option for the rotation that they probably have is Scherzer. And then the rest of the guys for the rest of the rotation, I mean, like Severino will be back and fully healthy, fully rested, full healthy off season next year. Tyone, He's been pitching to a 2.8 ERA since his start in Philly. Uh, we got Medina, who I think is the closest thing that we've had to an ace developed in years. We got Gill, who's very interesting for the back end. Not sure how he's going to develop. He's a, very much a fastball changeup pitcher. He throws his fastball 100 miles an hour. His changeup's fantastic, so it might be enough. We got Michael King, who outside of the first inning has ERAs in the twos for the rest of the game every time he pitches. Um we got a lot of options. Maybe Clark Schmidt, if he can stay healthy enough, or Davey Garcia, if he can find the strike zone again. Um, for the back at Montgomery, he's a guy who should keep gaining velocity with his long limbs and you know extra years in the big leagues. Uh, Domingo Herman, if he stays, I think he's going to get traded probably this offseason. Um, but if he stays, he's an ace or a number two. 
So I, I feel very much like the Yankees are in a position where they only need one arm. Mm-hmm. But you know, to quickly get back to you know physicality, yeah, back to, to finish up, yeah, to finish up, because um, there's only a couple more things I wanted to mention with regards to physicalities. First off, if you have physicality and and you're producing, right? Mm-hmm. I know your numbers might look nice because you're walking a lot, right? And you're fast enough to hit for enough power. But a lot of the time, the league won't know you the first year you come in and do this which means that you're a great option for a team trying for a short-term World Series, but then they're going to sell you off for prospects if they're smart enough because then the league will adjust, and if you're a righty, you won't be able to hit fellow righties. So as long, well, unless your swing mechanics are phenomenal, and then you, know, you can start making adjustments. Um, so it, it, you know, like Jesus Aguilar, he came into the league. His swing mechanics weren't quite what we wanted, but his hand-eye coordination was. He did really good his first year, and then his second year he regressed. And ever since then, he's been working at understanding the strike zone because his physicality is there. Swing mechanics are getting a little bit better year by year. And now this year he's starting to turn it on a little bit more. Um, I think he's going to actually get better over the next few years as well. But, see, he's a guy who, because he had just enough mechanics um, and ended up working on process, he was able to hang on and, and get better. But it took him a few years. Um, so with regards to longevity, if you're going to go with that kind of guy, if you're going to stick with them through adjustments, you have to understand that there might be like three years of adjustments. So you have to be able to balance them out. So if you do have a righty like that, you are con- you're confident that they're going to be able to make those adjustments in the long term, then you should have a lefty there who's going through that same kind of thing to compliment them at the bottom part of the lineup because then, you know, in big moments, they'll be effective versus their handedness. And you can kind of do a, a cross lineup platoon there. Uh, Tampa Bay does that a lot. Um, and then uh, lastly, uh, physicality also um, with regards to positions. Mm-hmm you almost never see people with elite levels of strength and physicality like size and, and just like physical strength at positions that require the highest levels of defense. So if you want to talk about, you know, reasoning to back that these people aren't actually athletes, they cannot ever play defense at a big league level at an above average level at positions that aren't, you know, corner outfield mainly focused on arm, not range, or first base, DH, uh, or, you know, shift-aided second baseman, or just a bad defensive third baseman. Um, You know, that's what you'll be getting with these types of guys. Uh, And that's, you know, it's almost the argument for finding people who are just athletes to put into ball. And sculpting them from there. That's it. That's all I got for today, Chris. And we have a few more minutes, and I just wanted to make sure we covered um, how oh, yeah, physicality yeah. affects players in the the second half of the season. Because I remember That's we talked a... about this too, and yeah, I didn't yeah. want to. It was really interesting to me, so I didn't want to, you know, just give it up. That's that's uh, I, I totally forgot about that. The moment the moment you you mentioned that, I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yep, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Um. So here's the other thing, right? In the short term, if a team, if the, if the league doesn't know you, right, 
in the second half of the season, when your swing has really heated up, those types of guys can do absolutely insane things. And with regards to guys who have elite swing speed, and we've talked about this before, those guys are typically also second half guys. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at just result data, those players might look very similar to each other. Okay. The way to differentiate between these guys lies in the level of patience. The guys who have elite levels of swing speed, they're absolutely fine striking out to get to any result that they're getting to. Mm -hmm. But the guys who are these strength guys who are succeeding because the league doesn't know them, they are walking more than anyone. Anyone. They may even be hitting for balls, success in, for balls in play because the league doesn't know how to shift them. You know, most of these guys are righties. Like I said, you know, lefties, it's easy. You just shift to the pull side because mm -hmm. first base is right there. Um, but righties, you know, you have to a lot of the time throw well, like with the, with your body moving away from first base. So uh, it's pull, pull, you know, so they don't know a guy's, uh, you know, how deep they should play on a guy. The guy's going to have more success on you as a right-handed hitter. So if you're looking at these guys, they might fool you in terms of their batting average on balls in play. They might fool you in terms of the amount of power that they're hitting for. They might fool you with their triple slash line, but always look for whether their swing is fundamental and how much they are walking. Because a guy who is all about bat speed, when they're feeling themselves and they're in the second half of the season and they're really hitting, they're not going to be walking 14% of the time. They're not going to be walking you know, 15%. They're rarely even going to be walking 13% of the time. The higher walk rates for the guys who have ridiculous bat speed and are succeeding because they have a fundamental swing with ridiculous bat speed are usually around like 11 or 12%. That's about as high as they go. And they go as low as even 8%. So a lot of the time, those types of hitters, when they're swings, when they're feeling their swing and they're feeling more in themselves, and the walks are going to come earlier in the, in the year sometimes for those guys because they know the strike zone, at least at that point in their career, if they're at that point of development. And then when they're feeling more of their swing, they're going to feel more comfortable swinging at more pitches. So the walks are going to disappear. Strikeouts might even kick up a little bit because they're being more aggressive. But everything is going to be driven with more authority. So the ground balls are not going to be ground balls anymore. Or the ones that are ground balls are going to get through. The ones that are line drives are going to be homers. And the ones that are fly balls are going to be homers. So, uh, and that's when you have the play, those types of players go to another level because they're becoming more aggressive, swinging across more zone. There's not much a pitcher can do to get that type of guy out. So um, the difference is in the walk rate and in the swing mechanics. So that's the things that you got to look for to differentiate those two types of players. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to differentiate them because – one type of player is about as good as you can get, and another type of player is about to regress hard. Walks are about to go into the strikeouts for one of them. That's why the walk rate's so high. Fouling off pitches to get the more hittable pitches. And I'm glad I brought that back up. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, because we, talk, we talked about that right before we started recording, and I was like, no, wait, we didn't speak about it yet. Yeah, I'll tell you, because it's a really important distinction mm -hmm. because you want to be able to tell which guys are which, you know, everybody can look at a swing and be like, oh, that swing looks good, you know, mm -hmm. but you have to know what the result data difference is. Yeah. And it's all in the walk rate. No, it, it's right. all, it, 
I mean, if you want to look at it differently, ESPN had a statistic called pitches per plate appearance. I don't think they have it up there anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might be able to find it on Baseball Savant. I'm not sure if they have it up there, but they had something like it on there at some point. Um, basically, it's a measure of how deep the count is being worked. And guys who are really feeling themselves and they're being aggressive in the second half of the season, they're not going to work the count too deep to get something to hit. They'll hit everything. But these other guys, they're going to work the count to get to their hittable pitches that they're crushing because the league doesn't know them and they're giving them to them. And that's why the walks are going to be strikeouts in the next year. So there you go. That's wild. Yeah. No, I mean, I think we covered everything for this episode. Yeah. I mean, if we didn't, you know, we'll do a second parter. Yeah, no, we'll do a second parter. But, you know, thank you for listening. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And remember, we usually do one live stream a week. This week's been kind of an off week, but we're getting the recordings in, uh, which is always great as well. Also, the podcast has an Instagram now. Make sure you follow us on Instagram. And we'll see you all next time. See you on the next one.